0: today on Citycast Salt Lake a truly just wonderful conversation with poet Jai Hamid Bashir and I don't know about you but I need a lot more poetry in my life it's Thursday March 10th 2022 I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is Citycast Salt Lake
1: dim, 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 dim.
0: Welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being
1: here. Thanks for asking me to be here. What a a beautiful day. Actually, today I'm going to be reading in Sugar House. I haven't had an in-person poetry reading
0: in two years now. My last reading was actually in New York City. Are you nervous? How are you feeling about reading for people again? I've missed it
1: quite a bit. Because I think there is such a beauty in sharing written work with others. I think of poetry as a living organism. So for that living organism to be fully nourished, I think poetry can't exist within a silo of just the individual. I think poetry is meant to be shared and heard and read amongst friends and strangers. So the fact that I've been missing that
0: has been actually really difficult as a poet. Do you ever revise your poems? I've always wondered this, like when you do a reading, do you revise or change things? I always improvise something. I always Mm -hmm. improvise something.
1: And it's just because I'll be there and I'll kind of think about the audience and I'll be like, what if I use this word instead? Or what if I make it a little more sensual? Or what if I don't make it as erotic? I'll change adjectives. I'll change entire lines. Um... Not the, not the poem or the structure or anything like that stuff because I don't think my mind works that quickly. But there, there have been moments where I'm like, Ooh, wouldn't this be a little more exciting for a live
0: audience? I don't know. I think that's so cool because it's like, a little bit of a secret with yourself, like mm-hmm. the audience doesn't know that you're improvising, but like maybe they do. I don't know. It's all in the subtext. It is. It is fun. It's fun for me because
1: then there have been times where I read a poem, and I'll go home and actually change the way it even looks on paper, depending on how I felt the energy of the audience was. Because a lot of poetry writing is a lot of just like, let's try this. Does it stick? No, let's try again. Okay, how does this sound or feel? Like, what's the texture? What's the taste? What's the landscape? What's the color? And then doing it as many times to
0: get to that thing, whatever that thing is, right? The way you're describing it, I picture you as like more of a sculptor than a writer, because that was going to be my question for you is like, when you write, are you, how visceral is it? And it sounds like super visceral.
1: For me, it very much is the joke I've made in other interviews or conversations I've had about poetry is that I'm a failed painter. (laughs) Uh, For me, my father is a visual artist. Um, My mother works within a visual landscape, actually does interior decorating and things like that. My sister is a fantastic film photographer. Um, most of my friends are photographers and are painters, so it feels that I've always grown um, around and surrounding fields of people where the visual, where the idea of witness or the idea of being able to capture something in that way was always a desire. Yeah.
0: Was there a difference between when you started writing poetry and when you started calling yourself a poet?
1: I think so. It's really funny we're having this conversation today because I was just talking to my friend Basie Allen, shout out to him, and we were talking about poems we wrote when we were children. I was telling him about a poem I wrote in second grade. And I don't think you could have asked eight-year-old Jai, hey, are you a poet? And I would have totally known whether I believed it or not. I wish it hadn't taken me this long in my life to say I'm a poet. I think eight-year-old Jai, who wrote that poem about autumn leaves being similar to an old dancer, was a poet. And I, I think anyone's a poet who believes they're a poet.
0: One of the things that I think has redefined the genre of poetry, and I wonder if you agree, is social media. And that's come with a lot of criticism, <laughs> What are your feelings about the relationship between social media and poetry now?
1: Yes. The answer is yes. Social media has changed the way in which the landscape of poetry exists indefinitely. There is no going back. However, that's not a bad thing. And I think a lot of poets who maybe write... Still to the model of wanting to be in these prestigious literary journals and their work isn't as truncated and needs more space, literally, like just on a page and to be seen and be uh, witnessed on a page um, or heard. I think have diagnosed social media poets as. Uh, antonymic to their cause. I don't really see it that way. Witness this: I use social media every day to talk to other poets, to connect with other poets. Poetry Twitter, Twitter, uh, like as as a as a channel by which to meet and communicate and think through ideas around poetry, is really special and really a very beautiful alchemy. And I love being part of it. So. Social media, poets, social media, in its way, it relates to even what I will call, just for the sake of this conversation, more traditional poets, is an amazing tool. I hope that whatever way someone has to walk through the door towards poetry is one that is welcoming.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like, of course, gatekeeping something and democratizing something are always going to be in conflict. And so if the goal is to make poetry more accessible to people, then I think we have to let go of what we think poetry should be and let people decide for themselves what it should be for them. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely agreed. Do you have other ideas for how we can just further democratize poetry, like get it into more people's hearts and minds? Like most things, beauty is stifled
1: because of models of scarcity. And because quite frankly, capitalism as a system and its relation to gender, class, race, etc., doesn't give many people the opportunity to be present within art of any media. The fact of the matter is many people, when they say they don't like poetry, I really question, have they had the time for poetry, right? Have they had the time to be with it? Because when you are negotiating your mental health, paying bills, all of these ways in which capitalism makes us work within frameworks of scarcity, maybe poetry isn't people's main priority, and that's completely understandable right? I think if we want to democratize poetry, if we want more people to feel that poetry is for them, it has to start young. Let's get more kids reading poetry. Let's get more young people reading poetry. Let's create more scholarships for people of color, for BIPOC people in undergrad to be able to leisurely take poetry workshops and or any kind of craft oriented workshops around whatever art medium they care for, where it isn't about I need to graduate and get so many credits because I have been brought up to believe that this is how college is done, but rather giving them the time and the energy and the freedom to really be present in just experimenting. I read this really beautiful, beautiful poem by Major Jackson about basically the first time he got high with friends. And the way the poem opens is that they're all standing outside a doorway. And it's just these young black men sharing what they imagine their future will hold. And essentially one of the friends in the circle says, something about mathematics and then one of the friends says something about islam and then there's a puncture in that poem where the i which i read as major jackson says i want to be a poet and someone in that poem another friend who's smoking the blunt with them says so you want the tongue of god and the reason i bring that up is because no one questions him in that poem. And there's such a beauty in that. No one in that poem, the characters I was talking about say, oh, no, no, you can't do that. No, 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 you you can't do that. How are you going to make money? Yeah, exactly. The response is, so you want the tongue of God. What if that's how young people, what if that's how artists were met? With that kind of affirmation, with that kind of this is also a potential you can do that and what if like that kind of declaration was met with that kind of kindness and i think that's that's something that we have to allow to happen
0: in salt lake and in utah a lot of your poems have intersected with the movement for climate justice and a lot of your poetry bears witness to some of our most precious landscapes the great salt lake parts of Southern Utah. And I think in that way, for me, it's been received as a form of advocacy and activism. And I wonder if you see yourself in your poetry that way, or if, those are, or if that's just a collision of factors.
1: Really, at the end of the day, I do write poems for what I love and who I love. When I was an undergrad, I studied environmental sciences. I have a master's in environmental humanities. For me, those things are interrelated, obviously, but I came to a point where I realized the best thing I could do, because all of us are in this movement, whether we like to believe it or not, whether as active or passive, because to me, questions about climate uncertainty and ecological conservation and remedy are the most important questions of our time because of how they intersect with gender, race, power, access, totally. To also clarify when I started calling myself poet was also when I started to believe, maybe stupidly, that the best thing I could do for the movement that I care for and will care for for the rest of my life was to write about things that I find beautiful invaluable and must be spoken about and spoken about in ways that hopefully conveys their deep value and beauty to others. So yeah, and I mean, this is my landscape. This is what I know. This is where I grew up. I think there's so many axiomatic sayings that say, write what you know. What I know is red rock country. What I know is my dad taking us to the Great Salt Lake every summer several times or driving us up to Big Cottonwood Canyon so we could listen to Bollywood music and eat my mom's dal and Rudi, you know, at a picnic table up in the canyons. Like that was how I grew up and that's what I know and that's what I bear witness to. So I don't know if it comes from a deliberate place to be an activist or an advocate. I think it's just a extension of what I already care for and what I do.
0: Well, and... Joy and beauty are, I think, the most overlooked, but some of the most important elements of effective organizing or activism or resistance. Absolutely. And so I'm glad that you're holding that space. Would you be willing to read a poem for us?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm going to read this one because I'm also obsessed with bees. It's like strange because there's such iconography and like our city is image laden with bees. Totally. But I also just love the complexity of bee like bees as a species and their culture, the more we learn, the more we realize, oh, actually, that is a, a criteria point about what excludes us from all other living living organisms. And so bee culture is so fascinating to me in the fact that we eat not, you know, our species eats something that comes from them and just how interdependent our ecological equilibrium is on bees and how little we're doing in order to, to save the bees. I guess that's my soapbox. I just
0: love bees. I'm so interested in your take on bees because I feel like particularly in Utah, bees have been hijacked as a symbol of capitalism. Yes, like precisely. The only nice thing we have to say about them is that they're industrious.
1: Like, even in the language of our daily usage of bees, like, busy as a bee, worker bee, when in fact, like, there's such a sensuousness, actually, to the bee. And there's such a beauty and sense of community and how hives operate, right? Which is so antithetical to capitalism. Okay, so this is called beekeeping. I'm going to read this. Okay. Beekeeping. Afterward, when the electricity goes out, We will burn a citrine fire, the orchards cut, oranges filled with softening wax. The bees are also dying. I've made enough delicate compartments and hymns in my mouth for honeycombs. Here I save each winter, my slowed queen like a nucleus. You ask how I've made my mouth this sweet. I will teach you to be an apiarist to be gentle beyond my tongue and cradle these cells, crystalline panes of wings, to put on silken armor, a veil, and attend to a hive hidden beyond my lips, wild housekeeping. I once believed in power, phantoms phantoms pulsing through walls, something to turn simply off and on. Now I know power as Lattice's, underground and above, lines of one element turned to another by men like you, tattooed in agile and agile in yellow vests. The bees keep warm in winter, swarms of their electric bodies, bathing lithe fingers into me for richness, so unspoiling. Ecology teaches we must be both pollinators and sextons to carry the living into another life. I place myself only in your power. A sweetness so unbearable.
0: So good, so visceral, very sensual. Yeah, I mean, a lot of my poems are, I guess, I don't
1: know, love poems. Mm. Mm Hmm. Because I honestly like beauty, love. That's what moves me, and that's what I want to write about. Like, I, I actually got asked recently if I write political poems. I think I do write political poems because I think. To contextualize how women, specifically, um, how non white, let me just say this how non white cis men have been denied to speak to desire and sexuality and sensuality, to write to that with a sense of power and a sense of knowing oneself and a sense of daring to witness and be present in desire. I think is political and pretty radical.
0: Yeah, I agree. Sure. They're political. (laughs) Or I just want to write some, I just want to write some sexy stuff. I don't know. That's right. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe both. (laughs) Sure. Jai Hamid Bashir, it's been so wonderful to spend this time with you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making space for poets. And
1: thank you for highlighting Salt Lake City. Because I think, it really is a special place full of remarkable people. So thank you for being part of that.
0: That's all for us today on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you to my guest, Jai Hamid Bashir, and to you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.